Chapter 14, Part 1 from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. I want to start off today with a question. If there's one thing that people remembered about you when you died, what would that be? If there's one thing that you wanted people to remember about you when you died, what would that be? Just think about it for a sec. What would that be? Is it that you were a great parent? Or you were super cool and super fun and awesome? You're great at your job? You're really generous? You gave to a lot of people? And then the follow-up question or the question underlying this one is, would people agree? Mm, mm. Would people agree? Would people say that about you when you die? So hopefully as you are thinking about some of those things, one, at least one of those things was that this person loved Jesus. Right? So-and-so loved Jesus. And the reason why we're talking about this is because many times Christians see their faith as a one-time conversion. It's a one-time event. You meet Jesus, you give your life to him, and great, we're done here. And what happens is we forget that when we say we are followers of Christ, followers of the living Christ, we forget that the Christian life is one that is marked by Christ. People know when you follow him, when you encounter other people, they sense, they experience, they meet Christ through you. That is the Christian life. And so when we look at John 14 today, uh, we're going to briefly talk about heaven but we're actually going to focus more on what Jesus has to say about the way to God. What Jesus has to say about the way to God. And I hope that our takeaway today is that heaven is not this destination place that we're just aiming for when we die. Because heaven is not a matter of where we are. Heaven is a matter of who we are with. Heaven is only heaven because God is there. Heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Heaven is not a matter of where we are. It is a matter of who we are with. So the thing we're going to tackle today is, why is the way to heaven so important? Why is the way so important? Okay? Just keep that in mind. But join me in prayer. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we submit this time to you over your lordship. We ask God that you would be sovereign in this place as your people come as an assembly to worship you, God.
and to be under your word, literally under your word today, Lord. So we submit this time to you, and we ask you, God, that you would speak, that your spirit would fill this room, that you would anoint your people, God, to respond to you. Not to what I have to say, but, Lord, to you, God. And so, Father, we are praying for a deep encounter We pray, Lord, that our eyes would be opened to the living God. That your spirit would reign in this place. That it would speak words of life and conviction to all of our hearts. So we thank you. We commit this time to you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. We're going to pause here. This scene starts off with Jesus comforting the disciples. So it's kind of like, it's a very tense scene, actually. right? Because just prior to this, Peter told Jesus, I will lay down my life to follow you, God. And Jesus says, no, you won't. No, you won't. In actuality, you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. And if I'm a disciple, I'm like, Oh, man. What? What just happened? Peter's going to disown Jesus? What about me, right? What is this rooster? Like, what's happening? It's very ominous, very heavy, kind of scary. Why can't we follow you, Jesus? Right? So there's trouble. This scene is filled with panic, confusion. The disciples are worried, but Jesus is also troubled. Judas just left, right? He knows he's going to be betrayed by him. Jesus knows he's going to be arrested. Jesus knows he's going to be crucified. And yet Jesus, he turns around and he comforts them. Do not be troubled. And he gives them this very intimate imagery. Very intimate. It's his father's house. The father's house. And so the disciples don't know it at the time, but we have the gift of hindsight. We can look at it. We know that this is a picture of heaven that Jesus is giving to them. And I want this image to be what shapes what heaven looks like for us. Because what Western culture has done is we've kind of made heaven into this place where everyone gets a mansion. You get a mansion and you get a mansion. Maybe your mansion is a little bigger than their mansion. But everyone gets a mansion, right, in heaven. And that's actually not in scripture. The image of heaven that we have here actually is a house. Because when a son marries his bride, he brings his bride, they prepare a room in the father's house, and they live together in the family. And for some of you married people, that is your nightmare, right? You do not want that to happen. But we're not talking about our in-laws. We're talking about living with Jesus and God. We're talking about the intimacy 
and the proximity by which we will live with them. We will literally dwell with Jesus. This is a throwback to John 1. We will dwell with Jesus for eternity. Okay? So not mansions, but a house. Jesus promises them that he is preparing a room for each of them. Right, verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So Jesus gives them a promise of fulfillment. Right? Not only am I promising there's a prepared place for you, I'm coming back to make sure you get there. And so we have a foreshadowing here too of his resurrection and his return. When Jesus comes back in the fullness of his glory. Verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And in here, Thomas asks a very important, but it's an off-target question. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? It makes sense, right? Where are you going? How do I get there? And the phrasing here sounds like Thomas is talking about, like, I need a map. I need a map to figure out how to walk to or how to sail to, how to travel to where you are, Jesus. And there's an eagerness here about the disciples because they want to know the destination. They're like, Jesus, we'll get there. Just tell us how to get there. And so even though we're looking back on this and we're like, oh, Thomas, silly Thomas, many of us are not too far off from where Thomas is. Track with me. Many Christians, unfortunately, have come to a place in their faith life where they believe that faith is about good behavior that will bring them a ticket to a place. Maintaining good behavior so that you have a ticket to a place. And so the method may not be about travel, but the goal is still a destination. My friends, the goal is never a destination. The goal is God. The goal is Jesus. The goal is to be with them. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, what's he talking about here? What's he talking about here? We actually have, this is going to be our first foundation for today. It's the way to God is about knowing Jesus. The way to God is about knowing Jesus. And when we say that word know, that word is personally walking with, personally experiencing something. So I want to emphasize knowing Jesus. And the best way I can explain this, sometimes you know something, but you don't really know something. Check with me. Sometimes you know something, but you don't really know something. So what exactly is Jesus calling us to share into today? Think about it. Think about all the things that happened in John. Just before, 
He lowered himself to be a servant. He washes the feet of his disciples. He feeds his betrayer. He wept for the death of his friend. He healed the sick. He touched the unclean. He ate with sinners. He was rejected by his people. And then he's going to go and he's going to be humiliated, arrested, betrayed, and crucified. See, what Jesus is calling to share calling us to share into, yes, his life. Yes, the glory of God. But in order to share into that, we must share into the death of Christ as well. Because in order to share into his resurrection, there must be death. Jesus is calling us to share into these things. So this is not to say comfort is sin. It's not. And this is not to say security is a bad thing. It's a great thing. Everyone should have security. However, those are not the ultimate things. Our faith life, our walk, is about sharing the life of Christ so that others can experience the truth and the way through us that they would see Christ through you. They would see Christ through you in your marriage. They would see Christ through you in when you're struggling. They would see Christ through you when you persevere, when you celebrate. They would see Christ for you through you when you advocate for justice, when you look and try to feed the least of these, when you fight for the lost. Christ through you Think about that. Does my life reflect Jesus? Do people encounter Christ through me? And so we're going to see in the next section, when you align your heart with God, when you pursue God, when you commune with him, our very motivations and desires change. It's almost like God leaves an imprint on you. That's what becoming Christ is. God leaves an imprint on you. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. So, okay, Philip is saying, okay, don't give us the map. Show me what he looks like, and then I'll recognize him when I see him. Right? Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. There's a lot of Trinitarian language here, but Jesus is essentially talking about the unity that he has with God the Father. They are one. And all the works that Jesus did, God was doing through Jesus. The Father was working through Jesus. It was his power. So all of the healing, the forgiving of sins, that was by the authority and the power of God the Father. And that's why he responds the way he does. 
don't you know me? You've been with me all this time. And because you've been with me, you've been with the Father. And Jesus gives them a very logical explanation here, right? We've seen this a couple chapters ago. He says, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the works, the things you saw with your eyes. What are we talking about? The healing, the feeding of the 5,000, the raising up of Lazarus. Jesus says, if you cannot come to believe my words, believe what your eyes have witnessed. You saw God moving. You saw God before you moving. And so there's this concept that Jesus brings up here. It's this idea of being with Jesus and seeing Jesus equate to being with God and seeing God. Okay? Being with Jesus and seeing Jesus equate to being with God and seeing God. Very crucial here. Okay? Um, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. At a glance, this is pretty awesome. It's pretty encouraging, right? But if we were to take, like, pluck this verse out of Scripture, like so many celebrities do, and we were to pluck this verse out, we would get, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And you kind of get, I'm going to get anything I want. Right? Jesus. I need to win the lotto in Jesus' name. Someone said amen. No. <laughs> Jesus. Lamborghini in Jesus' name. No. Jesus. You get, you, you get it. This is what brings us to our second foundation here. Knowing the way is what enables us to do the works of God. Knowing the way is what enables us to do the works of God. Because if you just take this verse on, our own, on its own, without the context of what Scripture has for us, you will interpret it very poorly. So this needs some explaining, and in order to get a full picture of what Jesus is talking about, we need to talk through the story of Moses. Okay, track with me. In the story of Moses, God meets Moses, and Moses is a stranger. Some would say stranger. Stranger. They just met, right? He sees a burning bush, and he's like, wow, it's burning, and it won't stop burning. And the bush is like, Moses. He's like, ah, and he covers his face, right? They're strangers. They don't know each other. God commissions Moses to go save the people of Israel. Moses pushes back five times. God kind of encourages him. He tells him who he is. He tells him his presence will go with him. He tells him about his power. But Moses, at the end, he goes, you know what, God? I think you should send someone else. As scripture says, God's anger burned against Moses. But you know what he does? He makes a concession. He says, fine. Your brother Aaron is around 
He'll go with you. And so what we see here actually is Moses had an opportunity to be the sole spokesperson and priest for God, to represent God, to go and to free the people of God in that way. But he, he takes that responsibility and he passes it on to Aaron. Okay? Aaron becomes the priest, but scripture is very critical of who he is. Right? He's actually one of the most critiqued characters in the Bible. He fails over and over again. His sons fail. And without getting into too much detail, we just know that Scripture has a lot to say about Aaron, but also the priests in the Bible. Very critical. But after all of the Egypt drama and the plagues and crossing the Red Sea and escaping Pharaoh, God calls up Moses to the top of Mount Sinai. He calls him several times, actually seven times. Right? That's a lot of elevation to climb in sandals. Right? He climbs up seven times, and he actually spends a lot of time with God there. And we have to note this, right? because this invitation to go to the top of the mountain wasn't just for Moses. It was for Aaron and the elders as well. But they say, no, we don't want to go. They decline this invite. They're like, no, Moses, you go, and then you tell us what God wants to say. You tell us what God wants from us. And so Moses goes on his own. Aaron and the elders, they opt out. And one of the times on the mountaintop, God gives Moses this crazy vision for what the priests should look like going forward. And many of us read this and it's like boring and you skip, right? Because it's talking about clothes and garments and jewelry, right? But essentially, you get this crazy, Beautiful image of what a priest should look like, right? They're majestic. They look impressive. They shine in their clothes because they were called to represent in their person the majesty, the holiness of God. And they were pointing to Jesus Christ, our eternal high priest, right? And so the person of the priest and the duties of the priest were actually supposed to be this bridge between heaven and earth. Okay? Through the priest, heaven meets earth. Okay? So in actuality, we have this beautiful picture here. He gets this image, and it, this image is for Aaron, who is the current priest. He goes down the mountain. He sees Aaron, and Aaron's like, guess what? We made a calf, and we're worshiping it. Yay! And so the, he fails. And God's anger once again burns against the people. And so as great as verse 12 through 14 sound, as great as it sounds like to, to get anything I ask for in the name of Jesus, if you don't know the way, if you don't know God and his heart, if you don't know Jesus, and again, I'm talking about this personal no this personal experience and sharing into the life and death of Jesus, you won't do anything. In fact, if you don't know the way, you will build golden calves. I'm trying not to make eye contact with anyone, but you will build <laughs> golden calves. And it's, it's, it's a scary warning that we see here. 
chapters 32 and 34, they're rather dramatic in Exodus and very powerful. God's anger is burning against Israel. He's about to wipe them out. He says, Moses, forget about them. I want to start over with you. And Moses says, God, no, please remember your promises. Verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord. He says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. Who does Moses sound like here? That someone would die for the sins of many. Doesn't he sound like Christ? And scripture is so fascinating in the way it is that we see someone who's so Christ-like already. It's almost as if spending all that time with God on the mountain changed him. Isn't it? And so Moses goes up to the mountain one last time. He spends 40 days there now. 40 days. He's doing errands for God. They're doing these things up there. And then uh, verse 34 reads like this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the covenant of law in hand, he was not aware his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. And so what Exodus does here is makes this great contrast between the image of what a priest should look like, the garments, the jewels, right? This shining ornament that they wear and the person of Moses. Moses' clothes don't shine. Moses' person shines when he takes on the roles of the priest. So why do we just go through all this? We are all called here as a church of God, as God's people. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. We are called the priesthood of God. You are a royal priesthood. You are called to be a royal priesthood, which means that you bear a responsibility with Jesus being our high priest. And that is actually what verses 12 and 14 are alluding to. That is what Christ is alluding to here. We are the future priesthood of God, and thus we must operate similarly. That as we commune with God the Father and live into his authority through Jesus Christ, the works come. But the caveat here is these things come when? When our hearts are aligned with Christ. When we share in his life. And these things are not for selfish gain, but when our hearts and spirits are united with him. Because when that happens, naturally, we will ask for the things that will bring glory to God. Amen. Sure. Yes. That is power. That is the power of God. Moves of the Holy Spirit happen when the people of God embrace the heart of Jesus. Moves of the Holy Spirit happen, true moves of the Holy Spirit happen when we desire for God to take the glory. And a lot of times is when we're, this, is, this happens when we're loving people beyond ourselves. 
I mean, Jesus literally gave us a new command in chapter 13. Right? We talked about this last week. Love one another, and by this everyone will know you are my disciples. All of this is linked together. When your heart breaks for someone outside of yourself, there is power there. When Christ brings someone into your life, when you see someone and you love them sacrificially, when you lower yourself to serve someone else, God is there. God works through you. People encounter Christ through you. The first time I ever experienced the Holy Spirit fall on me was when I told God I wanted him to change me. I had grown up in a household where since the age of four, I can remember my dad hitting me. I can remember him hitting my mom, and I can remember a lot of the things he used to say, and they have stuck with me this far. I remember it when we found out that he had an, a, like a 10-year affair. I remember how betrayed we felt as a family. So I grew up thinking that he was a villain until my mid-20s. I hated this guy. I didn't love him. I was scared of him. But I promised myself I would never turn out like him. And when I started following Christ, when I decided to really give my life to follow Christ, I remember I used to go to this prayer meeting that we had, and I'd say, dear God, change my dad. Pierce his heart with the gospel so that he's different. Nothing happened. Right? I was, I was praying that prayer out of convenience, to be honest. And I remember through my sister and through some other things, God revealed to me the brokenness by which my father grew up with. God revealed to me the brokenness by which he grew up with. And I remember taking that and being so humbled by it, so heartbroken by it. I sat down weeks later and I said, you know what, God? I need you to change me so that I can love my dad in such a way that he would know he's loved. And when I did that, I wept for him. My heart broke for him. I prayed in tongues. I, I experienced the Holy Spirit in such a way I had never before. Recently, we, there was a retreat, and a woman was sharing her life confession, just all the things that she had gone through. And a brother there as he was listening, he's, he's someone that had confessed to me that he had never really experienced the Holy Spirit. He didn't really know if he had encountered God in his life. He had trouble praying out loud. He didn't have the words to say. He found himself weeping for her profusely as she shared. And it wasn't because it was a sad story. It's because in that moment, his heart broke for her the way God's heart broke for her. And I'm telling you, we laid hands on her and prayed, and I heard this guy pray so fervently and prophetically for her. He told me he had never felt something come over him in that way. When our hearts break for others, when we desire to love people beyond ourselves, the Holy Spirit will move through you. Knowing the way to the Father's house means knowing and sharing deeply in the life and the death of Jesus. 
right? A lot of this is big burden, right? Because sacrifice is hard. It is. But we are not of this world. The goal was never this world. The goal is glory. The goal is eternity. And we are called as a people of God to run a race towards God the Father. But that means that you are called to break off the shackles that hold you behind. The shame that you carry with you, that does not belong to you. The mask that you wear because you do not want people to know who you are, that is not you. That is not who you are. God doesn't know that person. God wants you to come running to the Father. Why? Because he loves you. He created you. He literally breathed life into you. He put his image upon you. He has imprinted you with his spirit. And what he has called you to be is his priests and his representatives, those whom he'll build the kingdom of God through. The priesthood is called to be the ones that bring heaven on earth today. Church, I want you to imagine this. If the church of God embraced the way of Jesus, we would bring heaven to earth. That is the call here. That is what Jesus is saying. You will do works greater than me in my name because I am going to the Father and he will do the work for you as long as you call it out in my name because when our hearts are aligned with Christ Jesus, we will desire nothing short of the glory of God. Oh. <laughs> I'm dizzy. <laughs> I hope this challenges you today. I hope that you're ready to lay down your shame, to lay down your mistakes, your failures, your regrets. I hope that you're ready to lay them at the cross and run to the Father. Let's pray together. I just wanted us to take a minute to respond together. And if you could just imagine, in your mind, there's an altar, right? And God is calling you up there. He's calling you to come, not to humiliate you, not to spot you out or anything like that. He's calling that because he wants you with him. What holds you back? What's stopping you or making you hesitate? What is it that causes you to think twice? That's not from the Lord. That's not from God. When God sent his son, Jesus, when God sent his son as a sacrifice for his people, scripture shows us that there's a line of priests that fail. Right? From Moses to Aaron to David, they all fail. And they all point to Jesus, who is our eternal high priest, who advocates on behalf of his people, 
who empathizes with their weakness, who is at the, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who has died for your sins, both present and future. There's no condemnation here. God doesn't want your guilt. God wants you to come to him in freedom because he uses a free people, a royal priesthood, to do his work, to build his kingdom here on earth. So I just want you to imagine yourself approaching God's throne. What does he have to say to you? Has it been a long time? He misses you. Do you have a lot of regrets, mistakes? He calls you to repent. But he says, I have won it all for you. He has covered you in righteousness. He has borne it all on the cross. So right now, I hope that us as a church, as Metro Community Church, as we stand on the altar before God the Father, we can make a commitment. God, I desire to know the way, to live out the way, as your royal priesthood. You know, whenever I think about the way, there's, there's a nun that, you know, hundreds of years ago, she said this. All the way to heaven is heaven because Jesus said, I am the way. All the way to heaven is heaven because Jesus said, I am the way. I pray that you experience that today. I pray that you experience that. If it's been a while, I hope that that refreshes you. I hope that you can rest in that truth. The world is broken. The world can be overwhelming. We have enough in our own lives as it is. And then there's the war the corruption, the hatred. But when you know the way, when you live into it, you can experience heaven here on earth. And more than that, you can be that for someone. So Father, we thank you for this time. And I pray over my brothers and sisters, we ask you, Father, Free us from what holds us back. No turning back, Lord. I pray for those who are recommitting themselves to you. 
that they would do it with great joy because we know, Father, that you have great joy. I pray for those who are recommitting themselves to you for the eighth time, Lord God. Lord, that they would not be shy about it, but that they would desire to live and know the way. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.